Every once in a while, the preacher, when he gets into a, uh, a message, it, it doesn't come easy. And this week, matter of fact, I had a couple people praying because I'm like, I can't get my mind wrapped around, get the verses that I want to talk about with you. I kind of know where we wanted to go with this, but, but and I'm thinking, remember I, I talked to my wife, I said, okay, here's the subject matter, broken lives. God restores it. And she said, David. Psalm 51. And that's why we went through this text. Uh, let me give you a little sense of this portion first. You can see the progression that David, our psalmist, gives in this particular chapter. He talks about the matter of sin, the transgressions, using words like that, the word sin of verse number 3. And he goes back to origin. And that is, as he was even conceived, he was born a sinner. He was not born a saint. And that's why every human being, as we come into this world, we are born outside of the rapture of Christ. We are born to die. And it's because sin is inside of us. And our parents had it inside of them. That's why they gave it to us. And our grandparents had it. And that's why our parents got it. And this whole thing started from, of course, the fall of man. He talks about the cleansing. And we're going to see in verse 8 a little bit how God had to break him. We're going to talk about the inner man, the, the heart. And then he talks about joy. And then the real transition happens in verse 13. So he talks about the past. He talks about the forgiveness and the breaking and restoring joy. But what's the purpose of that? Just so I can feel good about myself and my relationship with God? No. It is, then will I teach transgressors their way. Verse 15, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Then true worship comes as a result of the cleansing. Then even in the latter part, he says, Lord, if it would have been something that I could do as far as a sacrifice, that would have done it. But it wasn't another animal dying. But God was looking for something else. That inside of me, I had a brokenness. That's what God's looking for. A brokenness inside of man. And once he sees that broken and a contrite heart, God will never despise and reject that when man comes to him. Then the result is those things that he talked about, the works. And the works are then, Lord, as a result of that, you will accept the sacrifices that Israel does for you. But it's not until the heart's right that the sacrifices that are done are meaningful. Because the sacrifices could never make us perfect before God, nor Israel perfect before God. It was always, as Romans tells us, faith. Those offerings were by faith, believing God. And that's what God was honored with. We've been dealing with the potter in the clay in this concluding sermon today is taking us to a place where it seems like that vessel as it is created and we've gone through all of the steps in that creation of that pottery that God he says in different texts Jeremiah 18 Isaiah we saw that when we you know we see many portions of scripture second Timothy 2 the list goes on with the portions we've seen and what what God is trying to tell us is that he is the potter he is creating and forming you and I 
as he chooses and he, as he wills. And we, we can never be upset with our God. Uh, we do not have the right, nor do we have the privilege to ever say these words, I'm mad at you, God. And yet this psychology that's happened over the last probably 20 years in, in Christian psychology is teaching man that it's okay for us to be angry with God. I have yet to find somebody in the Bible that got angry with God and lived to tell about it. That's just the truth. You know, we don't have that right. Now, that, that's different than saying, Lord, I don't understand this. That's what Job was about. There's definitely things that we don't understand. The psalmist, you know, what, what Christ repeated, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? There's a difference between the, the prayer of a petition to have an understanding inside of our minds and hearts of why. Why am I going through all of this? But that's different than saying, God, you're absolutely wrong. I, I didn't deserve this. I'm angry with you for you to allow these things to happen. You're not going to hear that in many pulpits. You're going to hear just the opposite. A justification of an arrogant spirit to wonder why God would do this because you're so good and important. And God wants the success for you and the best for you and He doesn't want you to suffer. Guess what? That's not biblical. And you say, I don't like that God. That's okay. You say, I may not even believe in that God. You will. And there are certain things what we have to understand is that God is sovereign. He is over His creation. And the creation is never over top of God. There's a psalm that many of us are familiar with. It's Psalm 23. That the Lord is my shepherd and I shall not want talks about the wonderful things that the shepherd does as far as the provisions, the still waters, the green pastures. He restores the soul. He, you know, he is with me through that valley of the shadow of death. We're not going to fear any evil. And then he talks about two things. The rod and the staff. These are different instruments. One is to protect the sheep. And the other is to get the sheep going in the right direction. The guidance. And there again, the shepherd over top of the sheep is guiding them into very lies because the shepherd knows what's best for his sheep. And every once in a while, even as Jesus described in the parables, that there are oft times these sheep that decide, you know what, don't like the way you're going, I have my own way. And the stories of the 90 and 9 and, you know, the one that goes away and, and the shepherd goes after them and brings them back. And we think, oh, it's so cute. But you know what a shepherd does to a sheep? It keeps running away, breaks their leg. You know why? You say, well, that is cruel animal punishment. I'm going to turn every shepherd in. <laughs> okay. Well, which is better, may I ask you? A broken leg or being devoured by a wolf? The shepherd knows what's best. The sheep don't. They think they do. They think... It's always greener over there. I don't like this in front of me. It's always better over there. Watching a couple of the boys is, is that, that, that tendency uh, that, that all of a sudden, if one child has a toy, now listen to me. Grandpa and grandmas have toys everywhere. Okay? In our basement, there is a room designated for junk toys everywhere. And sure enough, if Jack has this toy, 
even though there's a thousand other over here on the floor, that's the one that Matt wants. Doesn't matter that there's other ones that are similar. D nope. Take, can we just walk over? Give me that one. And then Jack cries out, oh, it's mine. That's the tendency. We always want the other. And so God says, no. And there are times that there has to be the creator that will take the vessel and it has to be broken. And you will see that in the revelation of Jesus Christ also, that he, again, is the potter that is taking the vessels and he has to break them. You will see it throughout the scriptures that most times that brokenness is as a result of the heart, the choice of lifestyle that is going away from the shepherd and then the shepherd, the creator, has to break. And you say, I don't like that. Well, God doesn't like doing it either. So that I do not forget to bring this up. We, have seen, we will see in the scriptures those who God had to break in order to restore them again. But here we are, and maybe you as a Christian have not going, gone through that time period when God had to break you as a result of disobedience. Maybe you've not gone through that. I'm here to tell you, learn from the mistakes that you have made, but also learn from the mistakes of others. You do not have to go through that same path. Even though mom and dad may talk about those days of, of reveling and now they're living for the Lord, if they had it to do over again, they would not have gone through those years of rebellion against the Lord because they hurt. It seemed like we were having fun. It seemed like the right thing to do at the time. That why the misery and everything was just out of sorts. And then finally, we wake up as the prodigal and say, This is horrible. This is not fun. I had fun. And now all my buddies who I have fun with are all gone. And it's back to me again. And then the remembrance of what he had before the rebellion. And God broke him. But in the mind and heart, the prodigal decided to do the right thing. And the heart has to be here. And that's what we're seeing in David's life. That's why I chose this. There was a brokenness, but there was something about the heart that enabled God to restore that vessel. This is from our art teacher, John Wilbur. The term that he wants to teach us about is G-R-O-G. Where's John at? Is he here today? Okay. He's not, he's not about here. Okay. Grog, I hope is uh, how you pronounce it. If not... Tell me later on. But it is a process that the potter who takes small bits of already fired clay, he takes that broken, hardened clay and begins to add it to moist clay, incorporating it inside and begins to form it inside of that moist clay. And the purpose of it is to make typically pots. It actually, by taking that which was already fired, adding it to the moist clay, actually adds strength to the clay for the very purpose of using them for instruments that are at high risk. Pieces that are used and abused. Not the pieces that you have up here. 
under glass, where, oh, look how pretty that is. Uh-uh. This is the stuff you throw in here and you use it over and over again. It is used for lids and handles and teapots, etc. Things that are used for every day. I'm sure many of you know this process of those of us who have had broken bones. Had a few of them myself. And you'll notice that those broken bones, as they begin to heal, at that break become actually stronger. And you say, you would think it would become weaker. No, just that healing whole process makes it actually stronger at that particular place. God sometimes has to break us in order for us to be used again. And that's what this text and this message is about today. Broken lives or shattered lives. And many of you right now may be going through this for various reasons. But it seems like here we are, the vessel, and it's almost like somebody has dropped us, and now we are scattered. We don't know what's happening. It seems like everything is out of sorts. And you stop and you come to a place where you wonder, is God ever going to use me again? Can there ever be a restoration? Now, for those of you who have never gone and asked that question inside of your mind, you maybe have not been broken yet. It'll happen. It's very few times that I've ever talked to an older Christian that has gone into ministry that will not have at least one time in their life when they were absolutely broken and wondered, how can God ever use me again? Questions like, how could I have ever done that? How is it that I got so far from the Lord? And you say, well, that doesn't happen to solid Christians. Well, I would say David was pretty solid. Another man we're going to look at in a moment is Peter. I say that guy's pretty solid. Absolutely chosen by the Lord Jesus Christ himself to be a premier pillar apostle by which we have received the very word of God, the, the, the man who began to preach the message of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts, went away. Look, look with me to the book of Luke. There are other places, but I, I like this one of the Gospels. All four repeat, re, record this, but I, I like the book of Luke and how God describes what happens. Now this is right after the uh, upper room and the Last Supper. It is after Christ describes to Peter, Peter, you are going to deny me three times before you hear that cock crow. In verse number 54 of Luke 22, Luke 22 and verse 54. Then took they him and led him and brought him into the high priest's house and Peter followed afar off. There's a whole message I've heard on that subject of why he wasn't right there and many believe shame. Wanted to know what's going on but from a distance. But when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the hall 
and were sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So these are people not too far from Jesus, but cl close enough to see them, you know, be able to see the eyes and the face, but they're still separated enough that's like, oh, yeah, that's the bad guy over there and we're over here. So, but a certain maid, verse 56, beheld him, that's Peter, as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him. It's like, you know, you can almost see them doing that eye. Don't I know you? Do you ever do that with somebody? You're just looking at them. It's like, don't I? There's something. And all of a sudden, she says, this man was also with him. The bad guy that's being interrogated over here. Verse 57, Peter, he denied him. He denied Jesus. Can you imagine? He's with him for three years, folks. Seeing the miracles laughing with him, crying with him, seeing all these things, the, the feeding of the 5,000, all of these things. But now the death has happened. The resurrection is about to happen. The resurrection hasn't happened yet. None of this hope is given to this apostle. So right now he is afar off, not realizing what Christ had even taught him the night before. And he said, I don't know him. He's saying, woman, I know him not. Verse 58, and after a little while, another saw him and, and said, Thou art also of him, them. And Peter said, Man, I am not. So they knew there was more. In verse 59 now, in about the space of one hour after. And can you imagine that long hour? He's sitting and thinking, What am I doing? I shouldn't have done that. Why am I denying him? I don't want to die, though. I don't want to go through this. And he's mulling this all over, listening to the crowd, listening to the hatred, listening to the questions, listening to what was going on. And an hour after, another confidently affirmed, saying, Of a truth, this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spoke, But here's the intense part in verse 61. And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. And here he is being interrogated under arrest. And as soon as Jesus heard that, he turns and does that eyeball to eyeball, looking right into the very eyes. And even though there's crowd all around, Peter knew he's looking right at him. Verse 62, well summarizes it. Peter went out, now notice this, separates himself from the people and weeps bitterly. Do you ever weep bitterly? Do you ever start crying? Me, when I get crying, it's like I can't stop then. And, you know, it doesn't always happen every day or anything like that. Sometimes, you know, you just get overwhelmed with something. Folks, that's part of the way God breaks us Christ is breaking his man he now has a broken heart and is about to start the healing process by the way I want to put this little sub point in here because we know the rest of the story of Peter we know how Christ came to him confirmed his love to him do you love me, Peter? Do you love me, Peter? Do you love me? Go feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. You know, I'm going to use you, Peter. It's going to be good. 
And no doubt the confirmation was there in this man's life. But there's also another man who denied Jesus Christ. His name was Judas Iscariot. And I, I want to try to teach you something that, that is really hard for us. I need to save some time today. But it tells us that after Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus Christ, that he went to those people and he says to those men who he took the money, he says, I have sinned. He acknowledged that it was sin. Secondly, he says, I have done this against an innocent man. Their reaction was, so? He throws the money down and he went away and he kills himself and commits suicide. There was a response that we see from an unsaved man having the burden of doing something wrong and then still as an unsaved man the mind is not thinking godly and he does that which Satan wants man to do and that is to destroy not give life Jesus said I came to give life and I came to give it more abundantly I came not into this world to condemn the world but that the world through me might be delivered or saved that's what Christ is about that's what God is about here we have a man now notice this Christ is involved with Peter Judas Iscariot never went to Christ he went to man looking for man's approval saying it's okay listen we understand it was a bad move no there was nothing there was no hope in this man's life by the way in the last two weeks I have had multiple Christians in different types of business that have said suicide rate is huge right now it's not what Christians do throw in the towel you say I just lost my job lost my my uh, house I just lost my car I lost everything so Christians when we die are you going to be taking it with you no you say but but that money sure helps to pay the bills I agree with that you talk to us this church is here to minister to the needs of people we're here to encourage and to help you through the fire to help you through this trial of your life and God will not leave you and he will not forsake you and God will teach you through this and if you have shelter if you have food on the table and you have clothes on your back praise God and come to the place as Philippians tells us it is enough it is enough. I have found whatever state that I am in to be there with content. Things are nice, but we don't need things. We need Christ, and we need to take care of the necessities of our people. And you say, why would you have to teach us as a church about this? You know, and I know there is a reason and this movement that Satan is about 
is about destroying. And if you are here as an unsaved person, and it seems like you are right now being broken, we're dealing with your heart to stop and say, guess what? It isn't over. What you do is believe. Turn to the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. And He will save you. And He will change you. If, if, he tells us if any person is in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation. That old things are passed away, and behold, all things are now become brand new for you. Because before I got saved, I had it all planned out also. Okay? My life was seemingly good in everybody else's eyes, but in my mind, in my heart, I was in ruins. I was a confused young man. Didn't know what was next. And so, praise the Lord, I never acted upon it. And then I went to church, just like you are here today, and I heard a pastor talk about the Lord Jesus Christ and how I needed to personally accept Him as my Savior. And as we sang the song, What can wash away my sin? There's a question to you. What can make it all right? Nothing but the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And He will cleanse you and give you forgiveness of all that you have done that is wrong and create in you a new heart and He'll give you a new life. And that's what the gospel can do. Sometimes we as Christians, we get so far away from the Lord and we're doing our own thing and all of a sudden we find ourselves also, like Peter, down and broken and it seems like we would say, how could God ever use him again? Well, this is what God does. He reaches down and he can take the heart that is prepared, take those pieces and he can reincorporate it into a vessel of honor again. He is the God of second chances. He is the God of third chances and fourth chances. As the, the proverb tells us, that a righteous man falls down seven times. And what does he do? Gets right back up again. Maybe you are here and you say, Carl, you have no idea what I've done. You're absolutely right. And you don't know what I've done. Let's keep it that way. And so what we stop and we say is, okay, where do we find in the Scripture? How is it that God can take me to that place of being a shattered life and it seems like everything is in despair? I am now a broken vessel. How is it that I can come to that place where God is going to begin to use me again? Look, look at this. There were the words of Christ in verse 61 that I think that are so powerful in Peter's change. In verse 61 it says, the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. That was enough. But then it said, Peter remembered the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is something that Peter's heart was yet still open to. He remembered what Christ had said. He remembered the prophecy about him, what he would do. And what he said was, God was right. I'm wrong. God is right. I'm wrong. That to me is the beginning of the change. Until we agree that God is sovereign, God is always right, He is always good, and I'm not, until we come to that place, we're not going to change.
In this preparation, I'm thinking, and I want to talk to all of us on all ages. There is a mindset when we get into these type of studies that we want to put the brakes on right away. Because we don't like that broken thing. We don't like broken arms. We don't like broken limbs. We like everything to be just going smooth. And so what oftentimes we see is that the world says, okay, you're talking about this God and you're talking about how he's over top of me and he tells me how to think, he tells me what to do, he's creating me, putting pressures in my life, putting me through the fire, all these things. I don't like that. So what I think I'm going to go ahead and do is say, okay, yeah, yep, God, I like that thing about God is love. I like that thought about heaven. And we can pray to him and everything is kind of there superficial. But let me just incorporate what I think God is like. And so what I start thinking is, is that, that God is never going to do bad things to anybody. There can never be a hell. That's, that's a bad God there. And there's no God out there that's ever going to allow people to suffer because that's got to be bad things. So I'm going to create my own God that everything is good. He wants me to prosper. He wants everything positive in my life. That he wants nothing but roses, petals all before me. And I walk through life's journey and there's beautiful trees and there's beautiful water, and everything is gorgeous, and there's no killings, all the animals are living peaceably together, and all this is going good. Guess what, folks? That isn't real. You can try to create this job, and God, and think that He is there, but that's called an idol. You can't make your own God up. You can't make Him. And someday, some people, you can't make her. Okay? I mean, we're tr they're even trying to change the gender of God. Even some making him inanimate. Not a rock. He's not a tree. He is. And so what we see in as Christians is that God is over top of all. And in the moment I receive Christ as my Savior, he has, he has given me eternal life. And that one day when I'm in his presence, everything is going to be right. No more death and pain and sorrow and pain. All that stuff is done away. But right now, we're, we're walking through that Psalm 23. We're going through this whole time period where God needs to provide and take care of. That's where we are at. And what Peter had to come to that place now, look over with me to the book of Acts. I want to show you how God now has taken this man who went out and wept bitterly because of, of God breaking him it's like God had to break the bone and he had to go through a little bit of time period of healing. Christ had to come back again and teach them for that 40 days. And, and the key now in this chapter is that Christ has ascended to heaven in chapter 1 of Acts. In chapter 2, the prophecy of Pentecost has now taken place and the Spirit of God has now come and filled the believers, in particular the disciples or the apostles here, the sent ones, and they are now given miraculous abilities to speak in foreign languages with no education. Okay? Those who are into today's charismatic movement uh, has nothing to do with Acts chapter 2. They had an ability to speak in these multiple languages. Remember I said they not just one, they were communicating to these people in different languages that, wherein they were never ever taught and that was the miracle and they thought these guys are crazy, they're drunk, something's weird, something's wacko out there and so guess who stands up and guess who begins to communicate? The one who was weeping bitterly, denying, I'm the, I, I don't know him, I'm not with them. I'm different. 
Matter of fact, another text that says he began to curse, swear, because your language, you, you even sound like a disciple. And he begins to curse. And now this one who just not that many weeks before was going through all of this, verse 14 of Acts 2, Acts 2 and verse 14. Here's the transition again. But Peter, I love this, standing up. Isn't that good? You know, you see all this commotion and somebody has to lead. And Peter, yeah, his boldness and opening his mouth. We studied Peter here, you know, and seen what he's done. But this time, he's standing up and he's saying the right thing. The transition, the resurrection, the ascension, the, the Spirit of God now coming down and empowering this broken vessel to be used again. And he stands up with the eleven and he begins to proclaim. The one who denied him goes through, expresses to them in this sermon the prophecy of the Word of God from the book of Joel in chapter number 2. That what was happening right there. Now Peter is starting to use the Bible to explain to the lost Jews what just happened. Then he goes on and says the prophecy about Jesus Christ. Verse number 21. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The last part, verse 22. You men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth. Just in case you're wondering which one I'm talking about. May I be specific he is one who was approved of God among you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did by him in the midst of you all and you yourselves also know. Him being delivered by the determined counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. Whom God has raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be holding of it, that is, of death. Prophecy then predicted in, in David's life. He can go on and see that uh, in verses uh, 25 through 27. Talks about the joy in verse number 28. Look at that. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou shalt make me full of joy with your countenance. The last, in, in verse number 30. Therefore, being a prophet, knowing that God had sworn with him an oath to him that the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. He, seeing this before, David, that is, spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that his soul was not left in hell, neither was his flesh, did his flesh see corruption. This, Jesus, has God raised up. And we are all martyrs. You say, I see the word witness. Same word. I am a witness. I am a martyr of this very thing. The one who said, I'm not with him, I'm not going to die with him, is now saying, I'm willing to die for him. You say, what, what's the change? The heart. I'm here to tell you, it's the heart. The life of David, in illustration form, is seen somewhat similar. It's back in 2 Samuel when David, while he was off of the battlefield taking rest, looks out and sees a woman 
And he says, I like her a lot. And bring her to my chambers. And kind of weird, the power the kings take upon themselves, not biblical, what he was doing was unscriptural. He says, I want this woman to be mine. And the proclamation to him is, she is married to another man by the name of Uriah. And basically, David is saying, I don't care. He's out the battle. It's amazing how powers can put themselves above the laws. We have to be careful that pride doesn't allow us to lift ourselves above the law, no matter what our position. And so sure enough, Bathsheba was sure enough married, and he says, I don't care, and, and he went and took her and committed what is called adultery. Adultery is, is still a sin, from Old Testament to New. And uh, God has created us that a man is to be with a woman, and that after they are married, they are to come together, and that is the culmination of the marriage. Uh, I hate to say this, but I need to teach my people, God created man and woman to be married. Not man with man, nor woman with woman. He has created them by nature to be able to have children. Okay? A man with a man cannot have a child. A woman with a woman cannot have a child. It is unnatural. It goes against nature itself as well as the very laws of God. And you say, well, this is something that is in my mind. I think I am bent this way. There is a reason. It's called a sinful nature that we have. There are proper relationships that man and woman is to have. And it is absolutely blessed by God. Hebrews 13 says it, that... Uh, Marriage is honorable among all, and that the bed is undefiled. What happens behind closed doors is a proper and right thing between a man and a woman. But when we go out of the boundaries that God has created for us, what is natural, that is when we get ourselves into trouble. And this sexual sin that he was involved with took him so far that he was then willing to bring, because she conceived and was pregnant from that one night stand, that he brought Uriah off of the field, hoping that he would go in unto his wife. You know the story. He says, I'm not going to do it. My men are out in the battlefield in absolute harm's way, and I'm here. There's no way I'm going to take the pleasures of life right now. What a dedicated soldier he was. And then he thinks, oh, I'll get him drunk. Sure enough, he gets drunk. Then he'll go in unto his wife. Didn't happen. So he says, okay, if you're not going to do it, then we're going to change course. So he sure enough goes to his leader and says, Joab, I want you to take and I want you to put your eye on the front of the line and I want you all to back off and I want him taken out. Put him in the heat of battle, pull back, I want him out. Joab has no idea exactly what's going on, but he is willing to do it. And uh, in the heat of the battle, sure enough, Uriah is killed. News comes back to King David to tell him many men were killed that day because of his command. Not just Uriah. Other men were killed on purpose because of that strategy that David had. And, and David's reply, finding out, he says, well, the, the sword's going to take one man by, by another. You know, this is wartime. People are going to die. You know talking about a hardened heart? This man was not yet broken. He's still bold. Thinking he's actually gotten away with it. 
boy, isn't it amazing, Christians, how we think we can get away with it? <laughs> you know, nobody knows. Be sure your sin will find you out. You can't get away with it, Christians. You can't. You know why? God's the shepherd. He is sovereign. He is over all. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. So he's going to say, nope. So there's this man by the name of Nathan who is a prophet. And he comes to David the very next chapter. And he says, can I tell you a little story, a little parable? There is this guy, and, and he had one little lamb. He just loved that little lamb. And there was this other guy who was a big king, and he had all kinds of lambs. He had all kinds of things to be able to, to you know, eat and to be able to sacrifice with. And sure enough, when somebody came in, he said, well, we need to sacrifice somebody's lamb. So he took the sole lamb of that one man and took it and used it instead of his own. What do you think about that, David? His reply to that, verse 5 of, I'm reading chapter 12, verse 5, he says, David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that has done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore, and that's the key, shall restore the lamb fourfold. Because he did this thing and because he had zero pity, no mercy, no compassion. This guy has a hardened heart. Something wrong with this guy. Isn't it amazing how we can see the wrong in others and we never can see it in our own selves? Boy, this, I hope so-and-so is getting this message today. Boy, does he need it. And in that same chapter, verse 7, Nathan said to David, Thou art the man. shattered he just said about himself I should be killed he said in his own words I should be the one that should be restoring back that little sheep you know why that's so important to me because David could never restore to Uriah his wife or give him multiple wives Uriah is dead and I'm sure right now he's at that point he's thinking okay I should die he I should be restoring back my heart is so hardened that I didn't even care about this man I didn't care about his wife I didn't care about anything except for myself Christians when we come to that point where there's nobody more important than me and myself and I. And pride is built up in us. There's only one thing that God can do to restore us. And that's to break us. Break that leg so that we quit running off. You say, I'm going to do it my way. Have fun. Tried it. It's no fun at all. You say, I'm going to show every source of rebellion and I'm going to tell God, I don't care what your Bible says, I'm going to do it my own way. It's not going to work. And you and I, we have to search our own hearts. I appreciate it, Fran played, search me, O God, and know my heart. and See if there's any wicked way in me. And, and that's what we have to do at this point of the message, is stop and say, okay, Lord, I need you to search me. What is it inside of me? 
that I am hardening, and I don't care what the results, I don't care what happens, I just want something in my life, and maybe it is an unforgiving spirit, maybe it is a hatred, maybe it is a strife, or maybe you're trying to divide something or someone, maybe there's such a, a dis distorted view of people, Maybe, maybe it's over here, and, and, and because of the chaos and the finances and so forth, you're going through a rebellion against the Lord. I don't know where you are at, and maybe it is some, some sin that's in your heart you just can't seem to get over, some habits that you can't seem to get over, and all of a sudden you say, but Lord, uh, come on, you and I, we have this agreement. You know, it's okay with me. Like David was saying, no, it's not okay. It's not okay, my friend. It's not and if we continue on, then God has to take and he has to, has to break us. Sometimes it's quickly, like David or Apostle Peter. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it takes years. Because some of us are a little slower than others. It took about a year for me. Man, I was going against the Lord, doing my own thing, you know. Uh, I was a preacher at the time. <laughs> Second church. And I'm like, my heart was hardening. I'm just doing my own thing. And God had to take me and break me. And I'll never forget that time period. It's awesome. Now that I look back at it, <laughs> at the time, it's no fun at all. Breaking an arm, John, is no fun, is it? But when the Lord breaks us, He restores well. Look at, look at the psalm now, and we're going to close down. Thank you for your patience today. I knew I would not be able to quickly go through this, but I needed to show you where it all happened. Now, I'm not going to read the whole Psalm 51 again, but there are keys to this. He, in the first part, talks about his recognition of it being his own sin. He is not blaming anybody else. There's no Adam saying it's Eve's fault, Eve saying it's a serpent's fault. Get out of that business. It's you, and it's me. I can't blame my wife, my children, anybody. It is me and God. The next thing he says, Lord, you have to be the one that washes me. Verse 7, and the last part, I shall be whiter than snow. If you recognize it is sin, if you then say, Lord, I am broken because of my errors, that's the heart God's looking for, the forgiveness will come your way. But when, I, was, I was talking to some folks this week and talking about transformation changes in the home. And, and each was saying, I do this wrong and I do this wrong and I do this wrong. My attitude's wrong here. I open my mouth and I shouldn't do this. And, and I had to, I had to tell, tell them, um, there's one way of, of taking care of this. Quit it. <laughs> and you know, it's almost like this light goes on. You mean I can actually change? Yeah. This would be a really depressing job if I didn't think people could change. You know? This would be really, really a tough thing. Anybody can change through God's grace and His help and change habits, change what we're doing. Hasn't happened. But He is saying... I have done wrong. And I asked the one, I said, I asked him a question. I said, have you ever personally gone to God and said, God, I'm not talking to you about changing my spouse. I'm coming to you and saying, God, change me. That my bad habits that I have in the home, teenagers, listen to me. 
It's not everybody else's fault. You have to look at yourself and say, am I fighting God and showing outwardly by what I do, everything that I'm doing is against the biblical principles of God, against the authority of my mom and dad, against the authority of the local church, against everybody and say, I don't care, I'm going to do my own thing. And you wonder why everybody is, it's like everything is chaos. God isn't behind chaos. So you stop and say, Lord, it's not mom and dad. It's me. I'm actually bringing in chaos because of disobedience. And if I obey, mom and dad are actually, hey, this is awesome. Oh, you want to go away? Sure, I trust you. You're doing the right thing. It actually helps you, gives you benefits. Okay. Verse 8. Make me to hear joy, gladness. Now notice this phrase. That the bones which thou hast broken, God broke David. David couldn't break himself because he didn't see it yet for what it really was. And that's why the sovereign God, the potter, has to come in and say, we're starting over again, and it's shattered lives. And then all of a sudden we're like, now what? I can't even be used. You can't pour anything into a broken vessel. It can't hold anything. It is totally emptied of all its content. And so now God says, I'm going to break you. And then he goes into the cleanliness. And verse number 12 comes the restoration. Remember how uh, uh, Peter talked about joy? Here it is. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Not the joy in my friends. Not in the joy of, of the church or anything else. It is you and God saying, God, wow. You are the deliverer. Earlier it said... I know, Lord, it is against you and you alone that I have sinned. He never mentioned Bathsheba or Uriah or the little son that would die. He stopped and said, God, it's you and me. Peter had the word of the Lord. It was between him and the Lord. Judas Iscariot went to man to confess his sin, never went to God, hence the difference of the heart. Once the joy, folks, is restored, and we have that liberated, free spirit, then comes the change. Then will I teach transgressors their way. Once Peter was broken, put back together again by God, and then with boldness he stands up in front of lost people and said, let me tell you about Jesus. Not long before he was like, I don't know him. Don't know him. Don't, don't look at me. Wasn't me. And now he's saying, let me tell you how to do it. Let me show you what you've done. By the way, do you remember some of those words? You by wicked hands. I mean, he's preaching to these people. He's not buttering that bread, man. He's giving it to them. Hard, solid. By the way, in that text, multitudes were saved. God can use you again after he's broken you. If the heart confesses, obeys the word, gets back right with the Lord, and he's going to start using you again, and you're going to be able to help out other people that are hurting, and then comes the worship of verse number 15, and then comes the right sacrifices, and now I can be a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God, which is the reasonable, just the basics of what I need to be doing in life. 
And then all of a sudden the mind starts changing. Transforming the mind from this old world that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God for my life. Isn't God good? Isn't it awesome that our God, even when we go off, that God isn't done with us yet if our heart is right with God? And that when He breaks us, we don't blame. We just confess it and get it right. And then God can use us as a David or an apostle, and He can use us to do great things. But if we harden our hearts... And we go and blame others and we, we, you know, we won't say that it's me. God's never going to use you. Not going to use you. You say, how is it that God can break us? Break me. He starts with his word. He uses people. In my life, he actually used an unsaved person. He did. He used my neighbor who I was trying to witness to. And my neighbor said something to me and I was pierced. Because the word of God started coming into my mind. And I'm like, I've come to a place, Carl, I don't even care anymore. I'm just like David. And I'm like, I'm wrong. And then God used a missionary in another state to have a message for me to hear. He had no idea there was about 3,000 people there. And that missionary was preaching to me that day. And I'm getting my heart right. And I'm in the back of this church and very few people knew me at this church I was just visiting and most people were going okay missionary get done he's just about reading the message and I'm back there tears just streaming down my cheek and it was Psalm 143 that I've shared with many of you and that was the changing point because I realized I was being attacked and I was out of fellowship and that preacher me needed to get his heart right with God and then God can use us again. I do not know where you are at, young people. I don't know where you're at right now. But I want you to search your heart today. And where is it before you have to be broken by God that you can get your heart right with the Lord? Because the Lord doesn't want to break us. The shepherd doesn't want to break the leg. He has to. And what you can do is you can learn from us who have made the mistakes so that you do not have to go down that same path. You can also, you and I can also learn from our mistakes that we will not do it again. Hence 1 Corinthians chapter 10 goes through all of that. That God wants to take us and use us again. Father, we want to be a vessel of honor, not dishonor. We want to be a vessel, as we have seen, that is restored. I pray, dear Lord, that if there are any here this day that do not know Christ as Savior, that they will come to you. If there are Christians here this day, that they can see their lives as David, that are hardened. It's all about themselves, no more pity. Lord, that you will break. Lord, this is your business. I've tried my best to share your word. I pray, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you will do the job. This is your invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.